The Coffee with Your Therapist podcast is sponsored by MindGuard Mental Health Tracking and Management. We help psychotherapists and the client by enabling the clients to report on their mental health while waiting to enter therapy. We are particularly focused on young people and university age people and we will be very interested in talking to clinics and services who address this sector. The benefits to the therapist is that when the client enters therapy, you will already have a deep background profile of how the client perceives their own mental health. The benefit for the client is that they will receive encouraging and supportive feedback while they are waiting to start therapy. Please contact Dr. Edel Crean via LinkedIn for more information. Thank you. So anyway, I'm, Elena, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I understand you're in sunny California and I'm here in cold, wet Dublin. Uh, so I'm talking to Elena Herrera. Have I got that pronunciation correct? Yes. Uh-huh. And um, Elena is in uh, San Jose, Silicon Valley, and she's kindly uh, she kindly come on to talk about the experience of the type of clients she works with and, and what she sees. So, yeah, Elena, um, we were just chatting there. First of all, Oregon beckons at some stage in your future for a, a, maybe a bit wetter, but a bit cooler and maybe nicer place to live, you were saying? Yeah, uh, well, thank you for having me, Pat. Um, yes, Oregon, Washington, uh, for selfish reasons, I want to be closer to my sister. I'm an identical twin, so I miss her terribly. But um, also, while I love where I live and I love my clients, I'm hoping for something a little bit slower, you know, um, uh, you know, just not as fast paced. Here, we're all about productivity. And I'm at the point in my life where I've been productive. I've worked really, really hard. And I don't want to slow down in a few years. So so that'll be the goal. I don't know for sure when, but um, I've already kind of jumped the gun a little bit and got the license as a psychologist to practice in Oregon. Um, so I don't have to worry about that. So I can keep seeing California natives and, and Oregonians as well. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, you, we were talking here and obviously you're, you're dealing with people who might be in stressful situation. Is is stress a common issue in the area you live in? Yes, you know, and I I think stress is universal. Everybody has stress, um, and one person doesn't have more. It's or it's not you know more important than the other. You know, I could talk to somebody in the middle of the country, and and of course they have stress. It just might be different from the stress that I tend to see. Um, and and some of this I, I realize that I'm generalizing, but it's it's what I tend to see and even experience as a resident. Um, it is astronomically expensive to live here. Mm-hmm. It's very competitive. Everyone wants to come here to get a job and to get paid well. You know, we've got Google and Meta and Apple and and you know adobe and loads of other companies that i know i'm missing cisco and um and they tend to pay very very well but they're highly competitive so i think you get that sort of competition and the stress and you know am i good enough and and this uh this drive to keep producing 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 because somebody is there and willing to take your spot if wow. you don't feel if you don't feel the responsibility <laughs> You're yeah. scaring me, Helena. <laughs> it's scary. I mean, I hear that all the time. And there's been, a, I don't know if you've heard the news, there have been 
um, incredible amounts of layoffs. Um, and so there's even that thing to prove of, you know, I just want to prove that I'm worthy to keep my job and yeah. not get laid off. So it's very stressful. Yeah, I, I'm an engineer myself and I worked in America and um, I remember particularly working in Texas, there was, now it was great work, it was really interesting, um, you know, technically challenging and creative, but it was a very stressful environment because um, it they have these laws, I don't think, I don't know if they have them in California, it's called right to work laws, but they're really right to fire laws, to be honest. Mm. Uh, and um, I you know, it literally was quite. No, you know, I believe I held on to my job. I believe was I was able to do well. But every every so often, a, a layoff would come rolling through. You know, is that the environment that you're seeing with your clients? Yeah, you know, and it's something that I've seen. I probably in the last year, and and I've been doing this for quite a while now. So I don't remember seeing this a few years ago. Not that they weren't happening. Um, but I had clients, and because I work so much with engineers and techies and particularly men, um, there were always other things that they could bring into therapy. But now I'm seeing it being mentioned a lot more. So even if they're surviving layoffs, there's that hypervigilance of will I get laid off again, or they're announcing layoffs, or I don't, and everything even too is reading into does this mean I'm going to get fired or what does this mean? Whereas before they would get a, you know, a, a weird email or a casual glance or some sort of word, people might be able to brush it off. And these days I'm now seeing, particularly for my more anxious folks that I see saying, what does that mean? I mean, usually I'm part of this meeting. Now I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, does that mean they don't see a use for me anymore? So that kind of, more anxious rhetoric um and again you know you you could brush it off and say oh you're just being anxious or not sure. i mean that so it's i see that much more these days okay and how is that manifesting itself in their relationships is, is this is what you're saying is it yeah yeah um well i think there's particular challenges for men i'm just talking about men for now yeah, that's um, fine, yeah. um for men who are engineers, just in general. Um, so you add stress to it, you add worry to it, and yeah, relationships are going to, you know, be, be affected in some kind of way. Um, so, you know, not being able to let things go. I've got one client who, who uh, we meet right before dinner time. So we always know, you know, a few minutes before we've got to end, we've got to sort of bolster him up because, it's very important this dinner ritual with his family and he's worried he's going to bring in his mm -hmm. his worry and 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 going to do that um and lately it's been work related worry mm -hmm. um cuz he he can't hide it from his face he's he's stressed out he's worried he hates his job and um it's it's very difficult is um you know, here in Ireland, uh, mental health has only, in the last, say, five years, been able to talk about it, particularly with men, um, mm -hmm. has sort of become, let's say, acceptable or, um, you know, common currency, maybe even talking between men. It mightn't be quite as open, but it, there will be reference to it. Is is California different than that? Is Are people reasonably open about their mental health? Uh, you know, I would say that, we like to 
the motor selves as being very open-minded and and we talk about these things and I don't want to say that we don't because I think that we do but again I'm working with people on an individual level um and I'll ask the question to the guys that I work with you know do you talk to your colleagues about this do they know that you're coming to see me when you say you're leaving for lunch or you're leaving for an appointment do they know you're coming to speak to your psychologist and the majority of them say no Mm. Um, they don't talk about it. Now you've got companies that claim they care about their wellness by having certain perks and, um, access to therapists who are on staff and all that. And while that's great, but I don't see it in action. I don't see leaders. I don't see startup companies, you know, these business partners. I don't see the ones who are in higher level administration really doing the work that shows they care about mental health. Mm-hmm. And yet they'll say, oh, we talk about it. We uh, we give mental health days. We we provide um, support so that our employees don't have to pay out of pocket. Great. Again, I, I, I'm glad that they do that. And that's just not enough. So yeah. I think it's kind of a, a yes, no answer to your question. Sure, sure. That's fine. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, so that's really interesting. Uh, is it somewhat a lip service thing? Now, let, let me just go back. So, so you know, there may be, when I worked in the States, there might have been, say, uh, more common would be, say, um, support for alcoholism or something like that. And you might be able to get it through some companies. But I, I always sensed that people would be concerned about going through the company because it would admit a problem. Mm-hmm. Is it somewhat the same um, in, in relation to, you know, so-called employee um Assistant programs, uh, I don't know, they may have a different name, um, Elena, where you are, but are people open about using them? What, you know, do they feel that might reveal a weakness, for want of a better word? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that is a contributor because I, I happen to be contracted with such an employee assistance program um, where the employees could go for free or they can go for, you know, a very reduced rate. Um, many of them choose to see me outside of that. So most of the the individuals who I work with pay me out of pocket so mm-hmm. that they don't get their insurance involved. They might, you know, apply for reimbursement, but they could if they wanted to, many of them. I know that they are aware of their benefits. I know that they know <laughs> they can get someone. <laughs> yeah, they are very intelligent. They, they are very aware, um, and they don't. Now, some people don't mind at all and, and don't have an issue with that, and they'll use their benefits. It's kind of like, I'm going to suck all the benefits I can from this company. Um, but others just choose not to bother. And I, um, I have heard from a few people that there is that concern about how is this going to turn mm-hmm. up. It's not. It's, you know, we're bound by legal and ethical <laughs> codes, but... Um, you know yeah. that that that's really up to the employee. I think they they need to decide for themselves what would make them feel the most comfortable. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And the we were talking a little bit there. So again, I'm an engineer, as I mentioned, and um, it's probably a stereotype or a fact, and maybe more of a fact is that generally engineers can be on the say the neurodiversity spectrum, maybe ADHD, maybe I think autism in, in some cases. And mm-hmm. go looking back at my engineering classes. Definitely some guys are like, maybe I'm like that, Elena. I'm not pointing <laughs> fingers, right? But, um, I mean, but there's sort of a change in attitude. I mean, again, California's probably leading here, but certainly in Ireland where it's just seen as another type of, 
behavior and another type of social interaction. And um, those people can, can, can be very intelligent, as you just said, you know, highly, highly functioning, highly intelligent. Is, do you find uh, people like that in your client base? All the time all the time um it, it, it's and i was telling you before we we started recording there is a statistic that i i can't grasp i i, I forgot it but um here in the silicon valley where i'm located there is a high number of individuals who would fall in that category being neurodiverse you know maybe they haven't been officially diagnosed but they certainly can meet criteria for adhd or autism spectrum um and I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, Silicon Valley is the the hub of technology, of innovation, engineering. And so if you're an engineer, you're going to gravitate towards, or you if you are perhaps neurodiverse, you're going to mm-hmm. gravitate towards a field that makes sense to you, that you, where you feel like you're going to be most comfortable and successful. So that is probably going to be the very kind of logical, practical, scientific route like engineering or technology, whatever that is. And if you want to build a very successful career and want to make money, you might consider them coming to Silicon Valley. Not that there aren't other places, like you mentioned, Texas, you know, Austin has a big Mm -hmm. community. There's lots of places, even Oregon is growing as well. Um, But Silicon Valley is known for that. So I tend to see very, very often, I mean, one of my kind of marketing areas that I work on is, you know, I'm a therapist for engineers. I'm a therapist for techies and most of them are men. And Mm. many of them, I would say, fall in that category of being neurodiverse, including with the couples that I see, because I work with couples as well. Mm. Um, And if I'm working with a, you know, heterosexual couple, then the man, the husband in that relationship tends to be an engineer. And (laughs) sometimes I wonder, "Hmm, could you be on the spectrum because some of the concerns that your wife is presenting with um, make me wonder. <laughs> That's really interesting. And are those issues mainly around communications and just just on your own, what you're feeling about their partners? Do, do the partners have a certain profile? Um, you know, maybe I'm thinking they're not ADHD related. Yeah. Is there? Do you see any sort of? We're generalizing here, clearly, but yeah, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? You know, I I've spent time looking at this area, um, and um, typically the couples that I've seen, um, the partner um, is not neurodiverse. Now, it doesn't mean that that can't happen. Um, but what I've seen is they are more neurotypical, um, typically caregivers, um, can start off being very patient. Um, and sometimes it can take years for the, the, you know, neurodiverse partner to kind of display some of these challenges, you know, with communication. And so I think there can be sometimes questions or even judgment of, well, if it's so hard, why did this person stay in the relationship? Mm. Um, well, because they're not bad people. Mm. Um, many of the people that I work with, the, the neurodiverse individuals, they are fantastic partners. They are good providers. They're good people. It's just they're highly distractible. They can't always converse in a way that communicates their love and their commitment. Mm. to their partner and so they struggle because they've never been taught how to do this successfully 
Um, so they apply the rules of logic and the rules for solving problems in their professional lives and try and apply the it. Of, the rules of logic to a relationship. <laughs> I'm just laughing as you're... I, I can actually see what you're saying. <laughs> the, yeah. the, fra the framework not to use is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I know the words that I often hear from some of my engineers when they're when I'm describing them how to talk to their partners is, but how am I supposed to solve this problem? How am I supposed this isn't solving the problem? Like we are, just not in the way that you think we're solving and not in the way that you're used to. But trust me. Sorry trust for me. <laughs> No, it's okay. <laughs> And I, you know, I, I'm very familiar. My husband is an engineer, so I get it. That's why I think I um, love working with these types of relationships and love working with these types of men because it's so familiar to me. And, and I often share that saying, you know, look, I I, I get this. Uh, you know, I deal with this at home as well. Mm. Um, so. Well, you want to meet my wife, Elena. <laughs> I would, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's 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 really interesting, and uh, you know, um, we're sort of maybe in a way laughing at the the uh, human condition there, shall we say, of yeah. the you know a Mars Venus thing that we're that's you know we're talking about, but there are good people on both sides of the relationship, and it's just oh yeah, you know whatever makes them mesh together. So no, that's that's really fascinating. And Elena, says, do you how do you uh, help people. I mean, is it an amelioration that you aim for? Is skill? Do you try and imbue skills into people? What What's your sort of general? I guess this is the the the, the problem, the eternal issue with psychotherapy. What can you do for this person? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, my first angle with anyone, if I'm working with one person or if I'm working with a couple, is I want to form a relationship, and that is something that I can say is backed in science, backed in the in the research that shows that if I can form a strong therapeutic relationship, meaning that the person at the other end of the room believes and feels that I can help them, believes and feels that I accept them and I care, mm -hmm. that's the foundation for a strong relationship. And really after that, the research has shown that it, it doesn't really matter what modality I'm coming from. If I am coming from a more solution-based, if I'm more cognitive or more emotion-based, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that this person believes in me, they believe that I care, and that I believe that I'm interested in. Some people need more skills. Some people are sleeping poorly, eating poorly, um, not taking care of themselves. So I will have to jump on more of a and a solution base. Let's take care of this. Mm -hmm. Others, though, just need a way of expressing emotions and learning to identify what's happening. And once people understand and kind of demystify, oh, this is what's happening when my body feels anxiety, and I can name it and talk about it, automatically the nervous system feels calmer. So I, I tend to work a lot with people who don't understand what is happening. They might say, I, I feel anxious. They don't really know what that means or how that shows up. So I try and help them and, and make it less scary. And yeah. we do that by talking and and I'm you know, I'm very intentional with my questions and um I even I, I again part of the relationship is saying, You're probably gonna be so annoyed with me right now with this question that I'm gonna ask, but I have to ask it. Mm -hmm. Um so a little bit of humor too um is in there. Um 
So I, I don't like to say I do one thing. I think I, I do a lot of little different things. And ultimately, I'm just trying to convey that I really care. Mm-hmm. And that if I don't understand something, I'm going to let you know. I'm not going to fake it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to clarify with you. And we'll figure it out together. That's fascinating, Elena. I mean, it's sort of it's a very uh, concise uh, dis- description of, of a complex situation, you know. And you can, I can see your experience and your, um, you know, your, your process there, should we say, for want of a better word. But you know, it's I'm, I'm sure that it's taken a long time for you to get to this level of um, therapeutic care, you know. So you must be fairly stressed after a week of talking to engineers, because that's certainly where we had a But uh, <laughs> so, uh, how do you relax? What do you, what do you do for your own pastimes? Oh yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I've got two dogs. Um, they're sleeping and snoring here next to me, um, and my life revolves around them. I take them to the park. We take them for drives to go get coffee and. I just love spending time with them. We go camping a lot. Um, and um, I've got some friends who are also psychologists and we go and it's nice to just ha- talk to somebody who understands. And of course we talk about our personal lives, but um, any chance that I could get to talk to them and um, just decompress and laugh and, and and joke is is just so welcome to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, I we got a dog a few, we got a COVID dog. And guess who looks after the dog? And I have to say, like, uh, they're they're incredible animals. They're their loyalty, mm-hmm. um, their affection. I mean, like, you could argue it's a survival thing, but they they're just. Um, I'm sure there's there's cat people. I'm, I'm sure they've got a lot of issues being cat people. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, dog people are definitely <laughs> uh, <laughs> easier to understand. Uh, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we we don't want anyone getting struck off over no, this. No, no, no. <laughs> but and also, you like music? Oh, I love music. Yes, I I listen to it um, when I'm working, and I uh, it got me through my early career writing my dissertation. So I I've always got to listen to something. And what you get to nominate the playout song in the podcast? So what do you have in mind? Sia. She's been um, on my mind and on my playlist lately. Yeah, she's so talented. And what is it about her? She's just got such an incredible voice. um, And I've paid more attention to her lyrics lately. Um, She's got one song that I swear it was all of 2023 that I heard it on the radio. And I would hear it when I needed to hear it the most. And it was Unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like my personal mantra, like, yes, that's right. I'm unstoppable. I'm, you can't stop me. You just, you can't stop <laughs> me. And so, um, she, yeah, just really motivating. And she's got just a beautiful voice. I love it. I love it so much. Okay. Well, here it comes now. And uh, thanks very much. I really enjoyed this talk. And I, I had some really good insights. Thanks, Elena. Thank you, Pat. takes to fool this down I'll do it till the sun goes down and all through the night time oh yeah oh yeah I'll tell you what you wanna hear keep my sunglasses on while I shed a tear it's never the right time yeah, yeah. I'm moving on your own so you are strong
Sing 